All right. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to be continuing our uh, study through this section. So if you haven't been here, I apologize, because you're going to have to get caught up pretty quick. I'll do a little review for you, but for the most part, um, we're talking about a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth, and uh, the church, unfortunately, wasn't doing everything right. They were doing a lot of things but a lot of the things they were doing were wrong. They were in the flesh, not in the spirit. And um, today we'll be looking at verses 6 through uh, 12. But as he comes to chapter 14, Paul reminds us that we're to pursue love above everything, including spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian church wasn't doing that. They were desiring certain gifts that were the showy gifts. If they had a gift of service, and maybe they served behind the scenes, they were longing to be up in front of everyone so that everybody could see how spiritual they were. Uh, And so they were doing it for their own edification, their own exaltation. And they weren't really demonstrating much humility. They were very prideful, filled with the flesh. And so Paul had to remind them that you need to pursue love and One gift that they were pursuing earnestly was the gift of the Bible calls tongues or languages. And this was the ability that God gave to the apostles in the New Testament after Christ departed and the church was being established. He gave them the ability to go and to speak to people in a language they, the speaker, did not know. So if you look at Acts, you'll see where this takes place. And all these people from all these different nations were gathered in Jerusalem, and they were filled with wonder because they saw these simple fishermen people from Galilee who were followers of Jesus standing up and speaking languages they couldn't have possibly understood. And yet there were people there that spoke those languages, and that's the only way that they could really be communicated to. And so God gave them a supernatural ability to speak in a language they did not know. I took French in high school, and uh, I'm sure I prayed for God's enablement, even though I wasn't a Christian, that somehow I could comprehend that language. Uh, I don't remember much. I think window means is lafinette, but I don't remember other than merci, beaucoup. That's about it. Um, I didn't even have a name in, in French class. Uh, because there wasn't a name for Stephen. They called me ATN, the lady. She was a little little short, probably a little over four feet high. But she was an older lady. She taught pretty much probably my whole family in that high school. And uh, I remember her, um, when I would get it wrong, she would stand up there and she'd repeat it, and she'd take her fist and slap it together. And I was just so intimidated by this dear little lady, because <laughs> she had just had, was a little fire plug. But I remember thinking, wow, I'm not going to be able to speak this language. Wouldn't it be neat just to be able to supernaturally speak in a language you did not know? And so when that happened in the New Testament, God also gave other people the ability to understand the language and to interpret it for everybody else. So the one thing is we're going through chapter 14, you have to remember, and this is foundational to the chapter, that Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, not as individuals, but as a church, as they're gathered together for worship. He's not talking to them 
well, okay, do this on your own out here. He's not saying that. No, he's saying when you're gathering together, it's important, and we looked at this last week, how important it is that everybody is edified. Everybody can understand. Everybody is built up in their hearts and their minds. And what has happened, unfortunately, in the modern-day charismatic movement is they will admit that in the book of Acts that this gift of languages was given, but when they come to 1 Corinthians, especially 13 and 14, they say, well, no, this is a different gift. (laughs) This is a private prayer language. That's what they say. And that's why they can say, well, I speak in tongues, and what that means is Basically, they're not speaking any language at all. If you've ever been around someone who's spoken in tongues, or maybe you've spoken in tongues yourself, you don't understand what you're saying. And Paul's going to explain, that doesn't make any sense. And we found out in the previous weeks that because of their pagan backgrounds and everything, what they did is they brought in some of these pagan practices into the church of Corinth. And one of them was that In these pagan religions, they would think that somehow they had a secret language with their pagan god. And so they could do this ecstatic speaking in tongues (laughs) or in a tongue. Um, and, And basically it was just gibberish. It didn't make any sense. Nobody understood it. And that's what Paul is talking about. And we talked about how if you go through this chapter and you, you circle where the word tongues is singular, tongue, you can almost, for the most part, see where Paul is talking about this false gift, this pagan gift. Because if someone speaks in gibberish, if someone's just blah, 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 there's not different dialects of blah, 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 blah. It's just blah, 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 blah. There's only one form of gibberish. And that's why he, in the King James, it says unknown tongue. The word unknown is not there, but I think that's what they were trying to accentuate was the fact that Paul is making a distinguishment between the genuine gift of languages, plural, and this false pagan gibberish that was going on. And so with that in mind, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word and we'll, we'll begin to read uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in, notice, tongues or languages, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct sounds, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will be ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner or a barbarian to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up 
the church. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you bless it to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So they took this true gift of tongues, of languages, and even the true gift, they weren't using it properly. They weren't using it in the spirit. They were using it in the flesh. You know, you can use your spiritual gift in the flesh. Some people are gifted in different ways. Maybe they have the gift of exhortation or whatever, and they think that it's their right to go around and tell everybody what's wrong with them. Well, that's not necessarily using your gift by the Spirit of God. Or some people say, well, I just don't have mercy, so, you know, I'm just going to say what I have to say, and they hurt people's feelings. That's not using your gift, giftedness by the Spirit of God. And the Corinthian church, over and over and over again, abused God's giftedness to them. And here they were pining after these showy gifts, the ones that made them look spiritual in front of other people. So if they could speak in in some weird language that nobody else could understand, and they could say, well, I'm speaking to my God. And we looked last time where when it says in verse 2, for one who speaks in a, notice it's singular, in a tongue or gibberish, speaks not to men, because they don't understand, but really the, the original language there, it should be to a God. To a God. And so they were really thinking that they had a special connection with their pagan God still, and they could practice this ecstatic speech. Alexander Hay says this in his book, What is Wrong in the Church? He said, these believers in their heathen days had believed that when they spoke in a tongue not understood by men, not even by the worshiper, they were speaking secrets or mysteries with their God. They believed it was their spirit speaking. The benefit was received by the worshiper alone. No one else understood The worshiper profited through the ecstasy of feeling aroused and the sense that he was really participating with the spirits in the inner circle. He had no thought for building up other worshipers. And what Paul does is, he goes on, he says, Paul contrasts this selfish objective with the Christian objective. The purpose of the manifestations of God's spirit or our gifts is that the whole congregation be built up or edified. It doesn't do any good to anyone, even if I had, and even if it continued today, which we don't believe it did. We believe it says that tongues will cease. We believe they ceased after the apostolic age was over. There was no more need for them because tongues was a sign, and we're going to get into this next week, not to believers, but for unbelievers. And if you look in the book of Acts, God used this supernatural gift to pull these fishermen in front of a bunch of people who didn't speak their language and yet God gave them a supernatural gift to speak their, their language. And they thought, how are these guys doing this? And it says they were filled with wonder and awe as they, they left. And then it was Peter that got up and was able to preach the gospel then. So it was almost like a, a crowd gathering kind of a, a gift. It was doing something spectacular to gather a crowd. And then the gospel was shared with them. So it's important that we understand that because the Bible nowhere says that there are two kinds of tongues. There's not the kind of tongues that's in the book of Acts and then we come to Corinthians and there's some other gift. That's what the people in the Pentecostal and charismatic movement would have you to believe. 
If you've ever talked to someone who speaks in tongues, they'll say, well, I do it at home in my closet, and it builds me up. Well, what are you saying? I don't know. What language are you speaking? I don't know. It's a very odd kind of thing. And yet, they feel aroused emotionally by this experience. You know, you you can't argue with experience. If I was shaving this morning and I had what I thought to be a spiritual experience and something happened and I came in and explained it to you, what are you going to say? You can say, well, I don't believe you. And then you'd be calling me a liar. But no, it really happened. It doesn't mean it's biblical. Do you understand? And that's where we have to make sure that we understand. We're not here to rip apart the charismatic movement. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the same time, we need to be correct with what Paul is telling the Corinthian church because that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to understand what this church was all about. And so the most basic church member in the Corinthian church was probably more fleshly than spiritual, unfortunately. They were worldly, they were divisive, they were opinionated. It said they had issues with their marriage, they were puffed up, they were self-glorying, they were immoral, they were compromising with sin, they were taking each other to court, they were idolatrous in their worship. Paul even says they were fellowshipping with demons. They were insubordinate to the leadership. It got to the point where they were gluttonous and and drunken at the Lord's table. When they celebrated the Lord's table, they turned it into a pagan love feast. They were intolerant toward the poor. How could anybody who's doing all those things be practicing something that's so spiritual? It was merely their corruption of the true gift and their embracement of this pagan gibberish that really caused a problem. And so Paul wrote this letter to correct it. And so we saw the position of the gift of tongues is secondary to what? To edification. We, we, we're here to be built up. If I got up and, and spoke a sermon in Swahili to you this morning, even if God gave me that ability, what good would it do you if you don't speak Swahili? Have you ever been in a church service where there's no translator and it's in a different language? It's miserable. I mean, you don't know when to say, you don't know when to do anything because you don't understand what's going on. You know, if other people start clapping, I guess you're clapping, but you don't even know why you're clapping because you don't understand the language. And so what happens is, Paul says, look, the church is for the entire congregation. When you come to church, you set yourself aside. That's why we're here to serve one another. See, if you come to church just to be served, you got a problem. Because then you're going to be concerned about all your preferences. You're going to walk, well, they didn't sing my song. Oh, I didn't like that message. Oh, I didn't like the way that person looked. I didn't like what they said to me. And you're going to go out of here miserable every week. But when you come with a heart that's prepared to worship God and you're here to serve the body of Christ and to serve Christ, guess what? The whole scenario changes because you realize that God wants to use you in the midst of his people. 
And the best way to do that is to do something that's edifying. You know, it wouldn't even do any good for anybody for you to come to church and say, you know what, instead of sitting here and hearing the message, I'm going to go down in a, closed, in a, in a closet downstairs and pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray, but when the body of Christ is gathering together, guess where you should be? With the body of Christ. See, that's what was so tragic as we went through this whole pandemic thing. Well, the church isn't essential, and they don't understand what the church is. The church is literally, it means called out ones. Ecclesia means ones that gather together for the express purpose of worshiping God. It's hard to do that on a Zoom call. I mean, yeah, you make do, but it's hard to do that. I mean, it's a blessing to be together as the body of Christ. Amen? So he says the position of gifts is secondary. Number one, because prophecy, when someone gets up and speaks the word of God in a language that you understand, guess what? You're built up in your faith. You're taught. You're encouraged. Well, in verses... Uh, 6 to 12, he talks about tongues, even the real gift of tongues, as being unintelligible. Unintelligible. Because prophecy edifies the whole congregation. The true gift of tongues takes a secondary place to that. And the pagan use, the gibberish, has no place at all, in my mind, in a public worship service. So in verse 6, look at what he says. He just goes through this text here. He says, now brothers, uh, notice he calls them brothers. He's not denying they're Christians, but they're definitely not walking by the Spirit. They're walking by the flesh. And that's a decision that each and every one of us has to make every day when we wake up, moment by moment. Are we in the flesh or are we in the Spirit? When you're driving down the freeway, some Yahoo cuts you off. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in the flesh? You know, the foot gets a little heavy on the gas pedal. I'm going to catch up to this guy. Or are you going to respond in the spirit the way Christ would want you to? We've got to make that decision moment by moment. And so he says, now brothers, I'm not denying you're not Christians. You're Christians, but i got some hard things to say to you. And he says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, and he's talking about the legitimate gift, the real gift, Paul had this gift. He said he spoke in languages more than any of them. He says, even if I came to you as a church and I spoke to you with the real gift, how would that benefit you? Rhetorical question. It won't, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Well, how are you going to know if he's bringing revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? How would you know that if you didn't understand what he was saying? See, this isn't rocket science. It's very basic. Paul's saying, even the apostle Paul, if I came with all the clout that I have, and I, I spoke in front of you with the true gift of languages, it's not going to do you any good. Why? Because you don't speak that language. You speak Greek, so I'm going to speak Greek to you. That will benefit you. And it's, it's, it's unreal how the modern-day charismatic movement puts such an incredible premium on that one gift, the gift of tongues. I've heard 
preachers in that movement say, unless you are baptized by the Spirit, and then they say this, evidence with the gift of speaking in tongues, you're not a Christian. That's just wrong. And you say, well, how is that wrong? It's wrong because Paul says, does everybody heal? Remember when we went through that? Does everybody speak in tongues? The answer is no. And we're not to seek our spiritual gifts. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us the gift that he decides to give us. Trust me, with my personality, I would not have given me the gift of teaching and preaching. I wouldn't have done it. But that's what God has me doing. (laughs) So Paul says, even if I come to you speaking with the legitimate gift of languages, it's not going to benefit you unless I'm able to bring you some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching that you can understand. It doesn't do anybody any good for someone to stand up and to babble on in some kind of gibberish language that's not a language. And that's Paul's point. If there's no interpretation given, it's unintelligible. And unintelligible communication doesn't help anybody. Have you ever talked to someone either with a really, really heavy accent? Sometimes when you call the customer service line, right, at 1-800-whatever, and you're, you're talking, it's like, where are, where are these people? I mean, sometimes I just say, I can't understand you. I mean, I just can't. I'm sorry. Can you put somebody else on the line? And I'm sure they're thinking the same thing about me. You know, it's not, it goes both ways, right? They're probably, they don't probably understand what I'm saying either. But sometimes it's when you can't understand someone's language or someone's dialect or even with an accent, it's hard to communicate with them. And a lot of times in the modern day movement, there's people that say, well, we have an interpreter that that interprets the, the tongues. And there's been cases where to test this, people have gone into charismatic churches and maybe they knew Hebrew and they would stand up and say something in Hebrew and then sit down. And then someone else would say, I have an interpretation. And they'd stand up and it had nothing to do with what the person just quoted out of the Bible in Hebrew. So it's very much a psychosemantic kind of activity that goes on. It's something that people are trained to do, they're taught to do, they're taught, they're taught if they don't do this, speak in this, this unknown language, that somehow they're not Christians. That, that, that's not biblical at all. So he says, he goes on here in verse 7, look at what he says. He gives us an illustration. He says, if even lifeless instruments, what's a lifeless instrument? A piano, a flute, a harp, right? He says, even if lifeless instruments, um, a flute, a harp, if they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? You know, if I just stand at the piano and go bing, 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 you're going to go, what are you doing? Right? What is that? Don't you recognize it? No, you're not going to recognize it. Why? Because there's no distinction. There's no, there's no notes being played. It's just the same note over, the same group of notes, just like putting your hands down on a piano, making a sound. That's not playing the piano. Now, sometimes when we were younger or even 
young kids today, you know, they sit down at a piano. And it's like, yeah, and they just, you know, and for the first 30 seconds, it's real cute, right? And then it's like, someone shut that kid up. You know, it's like, well, they're just getting irritating, right? It's, they're not doing anything. They're just making noise. This is Paul's point. What's the, what's the use of sound? It's to create music. If you don't have the proper notes being played, you're not going to have any music. The phrase lifeless there really talks about these, these instruments that are inanimate. They're known for beautiful music. Somebody who knows the piano can sit down and play a beautiful or a violin or whatever. They can make wonderful sounds. But if you don't know how to play the piano or a violin, especially the violin, <laughs> I mean, do you ever hear somebody that couldn't play the violin and try to play it? Oh, man, it's, it's like nails on a chalkboard. You know, it's not good. Well, even though someone else could take that instrument and make beautiful music with it, if you're not making distinct choices in your notes and the way your fingering goes, it's going to be just noise. It's going to create chaos. And that's why he says there, if they don't give distinct notes, their sounds mean nothing. In the Greek, it, it, it really means unless there's a difference in the sounds. You know, you can't just play the same note over and over and over and call that music. There has to be variation to make sense. And it's the same way with communication. So Paul is saying here, basically, just because someone's making sound, even if it's on a very expensive piano or a very expensive violin, it means nothing unless there's some form of variation in the tone and the notes being picked and the way it's being played so that you can understand the melody. The point is this. You can't benefit or be built up or be taught anything when you hear someone speak unless there is an understood variation in the tone in which they are speaking. Paul says, in other words, it doesn't do any good otherwise, even if it's a true gift. If someone has the true gift and comes in and, and speaks in the true gift of a foreign language and none of us speak that language, it doesn't do us any good. And that's why he dials down and says, unless there's some kind of interpretation going on. He wants us to know this. How will anybody know what is played? You could say, how will anybody know what is being said? And they say, we don't know. Really, you're just in this trance and just saying things over and over, just making noises with your tongue. I mean, that would be cause for concern in my mind. And then he goes on and he talks about a call to action here in verse 8. He says, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? You know, I just got back from Fort Island where my daughter and grandchildren live for my granddaughter's uh, horse show. And every morning, they have what they call colors and evening. And it colors, basically, if you're out and about on the base, doesn't matter who you are, you're supposed to stop when you hear. In the, it's usually either the Star Spangled Banner they play or they play something else at night. I don't know what it is. But when you hear that being played, you're to face a flag and you're to put your hand on your heart. And it's, it's really weird being in that environment. 
because literally everything stops. You know, even if you're in a car. Last time we were there, we were, I was dropping Sophia off at the babysitter, and we were on Hickam Air Base, and it was right around, I think they do it at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it was close to that. And we had our windows up and music playing, and, and this guy in front of me, all of a sudden he stops in the middle of the road. I'm like, what is he doing? Come on. I got to get my grand. I pull around him, you know. And then she goes, Grandpa, I, th I think it's colors. <laughs> and you see everybody else looking at you like, what an idiot. <laughs> you know, so I pulled over quick, kind of hugged my head in shame. But everything stops. But right before that time begins, like maybe 30 seconds before, you hear this little thing over the loudspeaker. No matter what base you're on, they have these huge speakers, and you hear it. Just this bugle sound, and it's recorded. But when you hear that, you know, okay, you better get ready to stand still. It's a warning. And it's the same thing every time. But if it was just a weird note, if it wasn't that little melody of notes that they play every time, you wouldn't know what's coming. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, if, if the bugle doesn't give and distinct sound, how are the soldiers supposed to get ready for battle? The soldiers wouldn't know what to do. I mean, do we go to bed? Do we get, go to fight? What do we do? What does this tune mean? No, they had a specific sound that they would play. And the military trumpet, by the way, is one of the clearest and loudest of all instruments. If you've ever stood in front of one playing a trumpet, I've been at several families' funerals where there are military funerals, and they have the guy playing the trumpet, taps. And, you know, he's not standing right there. He's, you know, like 50 yards over there, and it's still loud, okay? Um, they would have no idea what to do. And then he goes on here, and he, he says in verse 9, he says, so with yourselves, if your tongue... With your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible. How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. I mean, Paul's point here is there's, there's no, no reason, no significance for some form of gibberish, for some form of language that is not understood. Why? Because nobody understands it. I mean, you could be the best linguist in the world. When you're listening to someone speak in tongues, this modern-day thing that's going on, they would say, that's not a language. That's not a language. I don't know what it is. And the only significant time for the use of the true gift in the apostolic era, when it was actually being used was when someone was present who could understand that language. And even then they said, but then if you speak in this real gift of tongues to someone who maybe didn't know the language you were speaking in otherwise, and God gave you a supernatural ability to speak their language, and you spoke to them, you only do it if you have an interpreter there. Because if Ken speaks French and I start speaking to French and nobody else speaks French, guess what? Nobody else is going to know what we're talking about. So God says, don't do that. That's rude. 
You know, it's like when you're in a group of people and you have two people. So what are they talking about? This is rude behavior, right? You don't do that. Um, And yet that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They thought, well, look at us. We're speaking to our God in this secret language that nobody else knows. We don't even know. And so he says, what are you doing? If you do that, you're speaking into the air. Uh, He's really drawing this picture of sarcasm. He's saying, "You're, you're, you're accomplishing nothing. If you're standing in front of people and you're just going blah, 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 what are you doing? You're just blowing air. It has no effect on anybody. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. And what was going on in the Corinthian church was everybody was coming together and they're all speaking in their own gibberish. And it's chaos. If you've ever been in that kind of a situation in a church where they believe in speaking in tongues and they have a portion of the service where everybody stands up and starts speaking in this unknown language, they say, it's chaotic. You look around and you go, who is this helping? And so Paul is trying to get these believers to recognize, to realize the purpose of the true gifts of the Spirit. And what it was was to proclaim the gospel to the unsaved and to teach God's truth to people. That's why we communicate. I don't get up here and just communicate for my own building up every week. Hopefully, you're built up with me as we look at the Word of God. And you can only do that when your communication is intelligible through words. Sometimes it's, it's fun to listen to younger people communicate. And, you know, it's like every other word is, well, like this, like that, like that. It's like, well, it's just so odd. I mean, I, I do it on occasion. It's, you know, it's just a weird way to communicate. We've lost the art of communication, I believe. And so Paul is trying to break through all this barrier of ignorance and emotion and, and superstition that existed in the Corinthian church. And he's saying, look, that's not helping anybody. If nobody can understand you, what good is that? And then look at what he says in verse, verse 10. He says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world. He's not arguing that. He's saying, sure, there's different languages. But he says, even if it's a real language and I don't know the meaning of the language, I'm going to be like a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. It's like two barbarians trying to communicate. That word foreigner, by the way, some translations use the word barbarian there. Um, It's barbaros in the original language, and it's another one of those onomatopoeic words. Remember in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, when Jesus says, hey, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Empty phrases is the word batalageo in the Greek. And what it means is just, Legeo means to speak, and you're just saying, bata is not even a word. You're just standing up in front of people, or you're praying to God, and you're saying, bata, 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 bata. Well, here you're just saying, bar, 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 bar. That's not communication. And so he wants them to know, if you're going to communicate, 
If you speak in unintelligible languages, if I don't know the meaning of what you're saying, it's not going to do anything to me. It's like just bar, 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 bar. So he wants us to clearly understand that this is not something that should be going on. So he says, yeah, there's a bunch of different languages in the world, and there's none without meaning, real languages, but this pagan ecstatic speech that you're practicing isn't even a language. He says, if you do that, it will be like two barbarians speaking to one another. And remember, they, even when they used the real gift, they could only use it when an interpreter was there. Even if they had the real spiritual gift, as the church gathered together, remember, this isn't you off by yourself. This is the church gathering together here in Corinthians. And he's saying, when you do that, make sure everybody is edified. And maybe God has, back in that time, given someone the true gift of tongues or languages, and maybe God moved them to stand up in the congregation and share something from God's word in a different language, because maybe someone else in the congregation didn't speak the language that they were speaking before, and now they could understand. But even in that case, Paul says, when you do that, make sure you have an interpretation for everybody else. Why? Because it's the purpose of the whole congregation to be built up. Right? That's the, that's the purpose we gather together. And if that doesn't happen, look at what happens in verse 23. Just jump down there real quick. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and what he's saying is even the real gift, if you're, if you're using the legitimate gift, but everybody's doing it, and somebody from the outside comes in, what happens? They think you're nuts. These people were mad. We went to the service and everybody was speaking in different languages. One was speaking German and French and all these things. And they're all talking at the same time and no one could understand anybody. That wouldn't make any sense. That would create chaos. And then you throw in on top of that these pagan utterances that were going on. So they would look at that and say, wow, these aren't any different than the, the pagan people that do this. They practice the same thing. And by the way, there's a lot of cults, there's a lot of unchristian, non-Christian religions that, quote, speak in this unknown tongue. It's not just Christians that do. That should be a warning for anybody. Uh, so he wants us to clearly see here with, with no doubt that this is important, that this is something that we need to, to address. In verse 12, he continues, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, he says, there's nothing wrong with, with asking God how he's gifted us. We should understand how God has gifted us spiritually. So you can use your spiritual gift if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, there's different ways that you can figure it out. Um, I had one person one year in youth ministry said, hey, you know, I, I think my spiritual gift is I, I really want to serve and I, I want to work with the junior high kids. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's try it out. 
And they were there two Sundays in the Sunday school class. And every time they came up to me afterwards, and all they did is complain. Well, these kids, they don't even, these kids, it's just, you know, after the second week, I said, you know what, I don't think you're gifted to serve in this area. Let's, let's find a different play. And they were happy, right, because they knew the same thing. But see, if you never try, you're never going to know. You know, if you say, well, maybe, you know, I, I want to serve in the kitchen. Maybe I want to help with the fellowship after church. Well, you know what? There's certain people that are just really gifted at that. You know, they just have the ability to, to do that. They have a kind of hospitality kind of mentality. They, they enjoy it. And there's other people that have tried it. And besides no one liking their food that they cooked, uh, you know, they, they're miserable. So maybe they need to serve somewhere else. See, just because you don't know where to serve does not give you an excuse not to serve. It's up to you. It's contingent upon you as a member of the body of Christ to say, okay, I'm here. Where can I use my giftedness? And then ask God to direct you. And yeah, it's a little trial and error. I mean, there's some surveys and stuff you can take as far as spiritual giftedness, but it's not tried and true. It just points you in a certain direction. You know, you might come out going, well, I don't want to be around people, so maybe my ministry is more in prayer or something. I don't know. Or maybe you're a real people person, and so you need to be around people. So maybe serving hospitality or fellowship or something like that, or Sunday school, maybe you like to teach, whatever it might be. You know, it's not rocket science, but you got to figure it out. You can't just come and sit and do nothing. That's not what we're called to do as the body of Christ. God did not call us to be spectators in his church. And, you know, I get it sometimes. It takes a little time to get into it and everything. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm still reminded of how God taught me this lesson after I was, I was a brand new Christian and came out of the Catholic Church, got saved, didn't know anything about anything. And had a Bible, took it back to uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and I was an RA at the time. And I remember sitting at my RA desk, and, and guys would come up, what are you reading, Converse? Oh, I'm reading the Bible. I was just so excited. And they just like, what? What happened to you? You know, I got born again. You know, I was just all on fire for the Lord. I didn't know. I was turning more people off than I was doing any good. But I remember the first Sunday I was there, there was no one in my dorm to wake me up for church. There was no one to say, oh, you need to go to church now that you're a Christian. No one told me that. I knew I had to go to church. Why? Because I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. And so I remember looking in the yellow pages. Okay, well, First Baptist Church there in Indiana. So, and going to that church, a little small little church, Baptist church, and got there early. And this little lady or gentleman, I can't remember which, older man was standing in the lobby and they were folding the bulletins. And I said, oh, are you from the college? Yeah, yeah, I'm from the college. Well, our service doesn't start for 20 minutes. So that's fine. I just wanted to come and make sure I was in the right place and everything. It's within walking distance. And What's your name? You know, we started talking. And uh, I go, you need some help? Well, uh, sure, yeah, if you want to fold it, help me fold it. And, and pretty soon, before I knew it, I'm standing at the door giving out bulletins. Like, who are you, you know? I mean, it's like my first Sunday at this church, right? Um, God had a kind of a sense of humor. Like, he wanted to show me that church isn't about just coming. It's, it's about serving. And so I'm thankful that we're in a church where a majority of our people serve and our understanding of that fact that they're willing to come and, 
and invest their time. And so he says here, it's, it's good. I'm glad that you're eager for these manifestations of the spiritual gifts. But above all else, look at how he ends here in verse 12. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel. In other words, Corinthians, above all else, whatever you do, however you practice your gift, just remember it's not about you. It's not for you. Your spiritual gift was not given to you for you. It was given to you to serve in the body of Christ. And that's exactly the opposite of what they were doing. They were looking at their spiritual gifts and they were going, whoa, I I want this one. I want the preaching gift or I want the teaching gift or I want the the tongues gift because then people can look at me and, and, and say, wow, look at that. And they, they had it all wrong. And that's why Paul had to point out to them at the beginning of this chapter, first of all, pursue love because everything else is gonna go away. You know, one day you're not gonna use your spiritual gift. You know, one day, you know, you, you won't have your Bible You won't need it in heaven. You'll be in the presence of the living word of God. You won't need the Bible. I mean, that's that's hard to understand. But we won't need this, this physical book in heaven. We'll have the mind of Christ. We won't need spiritual gifts. We we won't need any of that. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, while you have this time together, be all about not yourself, get over yourself, don't be selfish, Corinthians, don't just seek all these showy gifts or don't seek this pagan ecstatic experience that you want to have, but pursue love. And so he he just reminds him that, you know what, above all else, make sure you're building up the church, building up the body of Christ. And that's a good question for us to ask every Sunday when we come together. Before you come, ask God, how can I edify the church of Christ today when, I, when my attendance is there, when I come to church? Maybe there's someone that needs just a kind word. Maybe there's someone that just needs a pat on the back. I mean, slowly getting over this pandemic, maybe somebody needs a handshake. You know, it's like, I mean, check with them first, right? I mean, you don't know. But I'm just saying, those are all encouraging things. Or maybe you know somebody that's going through a tough time and you just need to reach out to them and say, hey, nothing more than just, you know, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your family. I heard what was going on or whatever it might be. You know, those are, are ways that we can build up the body of Christ and make your time here purposeful. Don't just make it, oh, check the box, I went to church. You know, when it, when it gets to that point in your spiritual life, um, we, we have a problem. Because all you're doing is you're doing time. And, and that's, that's never right. That's never right. Um, and, and part of that is, is it, it, it helps to prepare your hearts for worship on Sunday. You know, don't drag yourself in here Sunday morning you know, uh, just being beat up by the world all week, thinking, oh, I just got to get a power charge here. Hope, hopefully the sermon's good. Hopefully they got the right music for me. If you come in here with that attitude, you, you, you're, you're going to be sorry when you leave. You really will. But if you prepare your heart throughout the week, I mean, where are we going to be next week? 
We're going to be in the next couple set of verses. Start reading them now. Pick up where I left off and read ahead. And say, I wonder what this means. What? And do your own little work. And, and be praying about how you can assist the body of Christ each week. Don't just warm a seat. Well, let's bow in a word of prayer and then we'll uh, have our fellowship time across the way. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your, your care for us. Thank you for giving Paul these messages uh, to the Corinthian church. Lord, I thank you that we can make that decision every day. Are we going to walk in the flesh? Are we going to walk in the spirit? Are we going to be giving in to the desires of the flesh? Or are we going to be filled and controlled by the spirit of God? And Lord, that's a, that's a question each and every one of us as believers has to ask and answer for ourselves. I can't do that for you and you can't do it for me. And Father, we just are dependent on you each and every day. And Lord, we think of those who may be gathered here this morning who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin. Lord, there's not a person here today that has lived a life perfectly. Each one of us has failed, has sinned in a, in a myriad of ways, probably on a daily basis. And Lord, as a just God, you have to deal with that sin. Because the great gulf between man and God is the gulf of sin. And so, Lord, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, and then to rise on the third day victorious over sin and death. Why? Because he completed, he, he defeated his uh, sin and death on the cross. He completed his purpose for coming to this earth. He said so much in, in the closing moments of his life on the cross. He says, it is what finished. It's finished. It's over. There's nothing more that needs to be done for someone to be saved other than to trust in the work that Christ has already done for us. And when you do that, when you cry out to God from a, a sorrowful heart over your own sin and you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive my sin. Help me to trust in you. Help me to trust in Christ. Change my heart. Make me into the person that you desire me to be. That's a prayer when it's prayed from a sincere heart that God will answer. And he will change you. Not in a bad way, in a good way. And Father, we just pray this morning that if you have a work to do in someone's heart here today, that you would do that. Because we can't. We're dependent on you. Lord, you save us. We don't save ourselves. And Father, as Christians, I'm just reminded that as Mother's Day is here, Lord, that we would be gracious to our moms if they're still living, if they're still with us. Lord, we pray that we'd reach out, maybe a card or a phone call or visit to just tell them we're thankful. I mean, maybe, maybe they weren't a great mom, but we can still reach out. We can still be gracious. We can still be thankful because they did bring us into this world. And so we just pray that you would uh, give us wisdom in all these things and pray that you'd bless our fellowship across the way as well.
and just bless the families that gather together in, in honor of their mothers today, uh, that the moms would feel special and blessed. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen.